Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stadium Tech Report podcast, or something else if we find a better name. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm your host, uh, Phil Harvey, and uh, along with me is Paul Kapuska. Say hello, Paul. Uh, hello, everyone. This is Paul Kapuska, editor of Mobile Sports Report and Stadium Tech Report. Yes, and uh, I am writing sidecar for this show. To come to think of it, even though I spoke first, uh, I think I, I think this is really this is really a, a Paul Kapuska show, and I'm gonna just sort of uh, sit in the sidecar and wear my crazy goggles and my scarf, and you know, just enjoy the breeze. I kind of think of you like an Ed McMahon. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> I guess I'm dating myself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to go with uh, uh, Andy, whatever uh, whatever Conan sidekick is. Right, Andy, Andy, somebody. <laughs> well, that I, might even be too old. <laughs> I don't watch much television. Generations of people who have no idea what we're saying. No. Um, so anyway, this this uh, what is this podcast all about? Well, we're going to be looking at um, really the technology behind the fan experience and more. And I, I leave the and more in there because you can't talk about how technology intersects with sports and just stay on the road. We're going to be, you know, kind of weaving all over the place back to our sidecar analogy. I might have to unhitch the sidecar and go off on my own road sometimes, but you know, we'll try to bring, bring you some uh, perspective, some insight because we're, uh, Paul especially is covering this stuff all the time. I'm writing and reading about it more than ever um actually more than i did as a journalist <laughs> well and don't don't cite your background either phil i mean phil has been uh you know a partner in crime of mine for a long time and has a long long background in covering technology not just covering technology but explaining technology as well and i think that's sort of the main driving idea behind this podcast is that we want to take things that are in the news, things that have been announced, and, and sort of give them a, a little bit more explanation that people can just understand the relevance, I think, and look a little bit more to the future. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, and try not to be freaked out when things are happening right in front of you. I, I, I think that's almost the mantra of anybody watching technology these days, because the stuff that we thought were laughable sci-fi um, you know, things out of a Star Trek script are being demoed. Yeah, they're here. They're being demoed. They're showing us stuff. I mean, the virtual reality stuff is just... Oh, it's mind-boggling. It really works. And it you really, don't, yeah. You don't get dizzy or sick or anything. And that's that, that to me is just like, oh boy, like I just, I did not have my... I, I, my head was not ready for that. I, I was expecting it to just be the usual, like, kind of faulty demo that Made Google people, Glass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, <laughs> that made people go, well, that's nice, but I'll never use it. And instead it was quite the opposite. But uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. We got to go back in time a bit and yep. um, capture uh, some of what happened in the largest, really the largest stadium tech event ever uh, yeah. happened in uh, in February, uh, Super Bowl 50. Um, the, the only headline that I could... Uh, uh, you know, bring from that was that the, you know, we're measuring the output in terabytes now. And it was something like 26 terabytes of wireless data used in one event. Yeah. It's a, it was, it was just a, a staggering amount, even for, 
you know, Super Bowl when everybody was expecting a, a big day for wireless activity, that just really kind of blew it out of the water. Yeah, and and how did that, I mean, I guess to put it in perspective, because, okay, 26 terabytes, you know, it, it right. sounds sounds like a lot, sounds like, you know, so more than I've ever, you know, had in a computer or anything like that all at one time. Um, and, 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 you know, to give it more perspective, it's in a, a contained, you know, time frame, like all of this data is flying in and out of the stadium right. uh, in just a few hours time. How did that compare with like, say, Super Bowl's past or other sort of major milestones in this area? Yeah, no, th- that's a good place to start, I think, because if you're not in the industry and you don't follow these numbers closely, it, you don't have a lot of perspective, um, historical or otherwise, to put them in. I, I, I think you know, when you look at the 26 terabytes, first you break it down, 10.1 terabytes was carried on the Levi's Stadium Wi-Fi network. You know, that's the internal, the the network that's under the seats and the concourses around the outside of the stadium. Mm-hmm. So that a little, you know, I, I don't know, like three, two-fifths was on the Wi-Fi. And then 15.9 terabytes was carried on the distributed antenna system, which carries the, um, the cellular, cellular okay. signals. From so cell, cellular data, just the stuff we'd get you know, right. charged for. Yeah, nobody, that's for people who didn't log on to the Wi-Fi network for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, you have those totals. And just looking at Levi's Stadium, I mean, it wasn't a great year for the 49ers this year, but even so, during regular season games, mm-hmm. the network was seeing anywhere between two and three terabytes on the Wi-Fi. We don't have full DAS stats um, from the regular season. The carriers typically guard those numbers pretty closely and when that's a good thing about a super bowl when something huge happens then everybody wants to tell you about it but you you can probably figure that the ratios were about the same so if a regular season game is two to three terabytes and a super bowl is five times that um it it says two things one it says the big events are always going to be outliers i think they're going to be huge just because they're they're bucket list events right and Mm -hmm. in the selfie craze just being there is cool. It doesn't matter who's playing. It doesn't matter what the score is. You're going to want to send pictures, especially right. if you're at a Super Bowl, right? It's the ultimate humble brag thing. It's just, I'm right. having a great day today here yeah. at Levi's Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had, you had, to, well, you have to if you've, if you've, uh, yeah, if you've gone through all the trouble to be there. Yeah, and... either paying or you have cool connections. Right. But, but, but I, I think it is interesting you know, to say, well, the Super Bowl is a huge number. It's an outlier. Two years ago at the Super Bowl, um, when it was at MetLife Stadium, um, the total Wi-Fi bandwidth for the Super Bowl was 3.2 terabytes. So what what was the Super Bowl number two years ago is now the daily normal. Right. So, you know, you can look at the 26 terabytes and go, well, it'll never happen again. But, um, you know, I think it's instructive to think about from the standpoint of, okay, this represents the top end of growth, but, you know, this went up from last year, the Wi-Fi last year, the last year's Super Bowl was 6.23 at the University of Phoenix Stadium, which is pretty similar in size to Levi's Stadium. They're both around 70, you know, 70 plus thousand fans. Right. 
Um, the, you know, I would. So the data usage, went, just real quick. I mean, I just yeah. so you know to kind of answer the question almost preemptively: Is this ever going to stop? I I guess we should wait two years and see if twenty six <laughs> is the new normal because that's that's what's happened historically and historically isn't even going back five years. No, and and part part of this, I, you know, I have a question, and I've actually been asking this question when I do interviews lately: is is it all growth? In other words, are there just more people year to year figuring out how to use their phones? You know, buying faster, cooler phones. Mm-hmm. Are there more apps like an Instagram or a Vine, you know, things that are adding huge chunks of bandwidth? Or is it that there's always been this pent-up need for bandwidth, and just now they're building the kind of networks that can actually tap into that need? So uh, uh, to explain this, for, for Levi's Stadium, you know, the, the stadium opened in 2014. It was brand new. It was built to be the most technologically advanced stadium at the time. I call it sort of, I call it version 1.0 of the connected stadium, right? Right. It, it was a complete shift in thinking in that, you know, they built the stadium from the ground up with, you know, just outsized numbers on cabling and infrastructure to, you know, not just support a network for today, but for the future. So you have a stadium that's, you know, as wired as you can get in this day and age. You have a Wi-Fi system that was, um, you know, pretty radically designed. It was much different with its huge reliance on under-seat Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. That'll be a, a topic we talk about in more detail on a, in a future podcast. But um, and then they went in after the first season and completely redid or upgraded the entire DAS or you know the distributed antenna system. They uh-huh. took something that was a year old. And basically, you would Verizon and AT&T coming in saying, it's not going to be able to handle it because of the growth we're seeing. And they redid it. They ripped out all the old antennas. They put in brand new antennas. They put in more antennas. Verizon actually built an antenna of its own to put DAS under seat, which had never been done before. Hmm. And you know they increased the capacity of the DAS to the point where really, for the first time in a big event like this, the, there was more traffic on the DAS than there was on the Wi-Fi network. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So they they really wanted to take advantage of the well, and that might that trend might continue actually as you know, I, the closer yeah. we get to five G. I, I well, I think so. And and so you know, my question I, it goes back to my question: is this is the demand really growing, or is there some huge number out there where if we just keep building bigger, faster networks that that will keep hitting that number. I don't know if there's any difference between, you know, either it growing or there being a huge number. I think the media has a little bit to do with it in terms of, and I mean media in terms of what people are able to use. Like think about what the selfie was a couple of years ago. It was about an eight eight megapixel picture, right? Right. Well, you know, one of the things in Mobile World Congress I just got back from, uh, a lot of the higher end phones now are having two cameras uh, in the phone where they're resolving uh, you know, as much without taking up significantly more weight and space in the mm-hmm. device itself, they're using two lenses to capture much more resolution. Mm-hmm. And then they're processing that to become a higher megapixel picture. So 
on that kind of same crazy growth curve, your eight megapixel selfie that right. took just a second or two to send will still take a second or two to send, but this time it'll be like 26, 27, 40 megapixels, you know, and the yeah. person taking the picture isn't really, doesn't really care about that. No, um, no, they probably don't even know. The other thing that's kind of come up that hasn't been a thing in the past has been these uh, streaming services like Periscope, probably the most popular one. Right. Um, Facebook Live obviously is getting is gaining momentum, and and you could always stream to a YouTube channel, but few people know how to do that, and and I think in the past year, that's kind of hit. People have kind of jumped over the learning curve for that. So when you're talking about streaming, you know that's that's another kind of bandwidth, and that's also um, you know something that people are. If you give it to them, they'll want to do it. If you tell right. them it's impossible, they don't care. But it's like if you if you know once somebody does that, I mean, what's better than a selfie than sending a a five minute stream of right. you? You know, or even a Vine. You know, a yeah, six or seven second video is, is just a, a huge file you know, compared to what was. And and I think getting back to your original question of what does this all mean numbers-wise, mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, stadium owners, operators, venue owners, teams, uh, people who built these networks over the past three or four years, you know, we've, uh, Mobile Sports Report, we do a yearly survey and we track all the Wi-Fi deployments in stadiums. And, and mm-hmm. last year, 65% of the stadiums that we surveyed all had Wi-Fi. So there's a lot of networks that are already built. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the big question right now is you look at these Super Bowl numbers and you say, well, so when do I have to upgrade? <laughs> is, yeah. it, is it now? Because you, you're going to the, a network that's been built, and I'll just go out there and say this, any network pretty much other than Texas A&M maybe that has been built in the last two or three years is going to need a significant upgrade soon. Yeah. Both on the, you know, on the DAS front and on the Wi-Fi front. So I'm, that's my big takeaway from the Super Bowl. It's not so much that there was that much data there because, you know, really that, that kind of day, that kind of day on the wireless front is what Levi Stadium was built for. And I think it's a testament to all the people who built that stadium and involved in it, all the, you know, the technology partners from Brocade and Aruba mm-hmm. and JMA on the DAS front to, you know, the Niners technology team and all the carriers and DAS group professionals who installed the DAS. Uh, you know, th- this represents top-of-the-game thinking, and it's it's a good, I think, milestone for people to look at and say, okay, if, you know, certainly if you're going to be hosting a Super Bowl or a World Cup or a World Series or any other, t- you know, Final Four, Right, you've got to look at this event and say this this train's coming down my track. What do I, am I ready for it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really it. And 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 then because it's, it it is all tied up to you know just like running out of food or beer, it's part of the whole experience. And it you is, can't, it, yeah, undeniably, it's you, you know you can't. It, I like when people compare Wi-Fi to having bathrooms. I would say it's probably not the same level of urgency, especially on half-price beer night. But uh, it it really is something that, you know, I don't think people are going to stop going to events if the Wi-Fi is bad. But you can do so much more and make it so much better experience. It it just doesn't make any sense to think you're not going to have to do this. Yep, yep, that definitely makes sense. 
let's um, let's move on to All right. our second topic. And uh, for this one, I'm going to lean on you, Phil, Uh-oh. and your um, most recent trip to uh, Barcelona. Oh, yes, Barcelona. For the you know, for the Mobile World Congress show, and, and specifically, you know, I think it'd be interesting to get your take on you know sort of what what is your feel for 5g and you know what's Mm. what what's going is is that something that's going to you know make its way into stadiums anytime soon is it any venue people need to be concerned about i mean where are we on the the time frame for all that well you know that that there's a mixture of opinions on that i think it's one of those things though because the industry starts talking about these things um, five to seven years before they become a reality. Right. So I would put it, you know, 5G is five to seven years away. Um, we will see incremental steps in that direction. They're already calling some things four and a half G, which is mm-hmm. basically, um, it's just like they did with, you know, right. 3G networks. They found right. a way right before 4G hit big, they found a way to expand the bandwidth in a pretty significant way. Yeah, and yeah, and and give people uh, a a little more uh, throughput. Um, the five G is supposed to be the big deal because if we go back to these streaming services and virtual reality, this all plays into that. Because one of the things that five G is supposed to give us, in addition to crazy amounts of bandwidth, um, the estimates, uh, by the way, are you know will be upwards of one gig per second, yeah. uh, you know, downstream. You know, now will we ever hit that? Will we have the devices to do that? I I don't know, but but that's the that's what the technology will allow for. So let's just put our minds in that position. And if we're looking forward to that, one of the things that goes away with um, the sort of higher throughput technology is a lot of the latency and a lot of the weight and the right. kind of buffering that happens in networks. And so when you go back to things like virtual reality that require um, really precision bandwidth. Like, you know, if, if it, if you're streaming some sort of experience in a virtual reality headset or any, or even augmented reality or something like that, and that buffering or that is just a little bit off. Yeah. It really it, throws you right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you nauseous. It's, 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 it screws with your equilibrium a little bit and really ruins the whole experience. So I think for, for stadiums and for big venue consumer experiences, let's say, because it'll not just be stadiums. It'll also be conference centers and, you know, shopping malls and, um, things like that. Those sorts of things will, um, will really thrive. Um, the sorts of new consumer experiences will really be set up well by 5g. And so, yeah, the whole industry is really kind of pushing in that direction. Um, and, and meanwhile, uh, you know, just, quickly i mean 4g networks as are being deployed everywhere they're in 151 countries now um the 4g connection like base past the 1 billion mark so there's now a, a billion people connected to 4g um over the whole mobile universe um there's there's 4.7 billion unique subscribers and the operator revenues last year were uh, about a trillion dollars all the way across the board. So, you know, the mobile industry is, you know, as that goes, so goes stadium tech. You know, this is only, the the demand is is nowhere near dropping off and people are just sort of discovering 
you know, what's possible with these new powerful handsets and devices and the bandwidth that they're, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, getting access to. Well, it, and, and, you know, to play on that, it's interesting what happens. You know, I, I think when you, you build the Wi-Fi network inside a venue, you, you, you're expecting lots of bandwidth. But it's it's been interesting to watch the carriers have to, you know, basically pay to bring their networks inside stadiums because, uh, you know, as we said before, a lot of the fans just don't know about Wi-Fi or and I would guess that maybe half the people in the world may not even know their phone has Wi-Fi or mm-hmm. how to turn it on. So, you know, they just turn it on, whatever, you know, it connects to the network, right? I'm paying for that. But yeah. so, so I'm, I'm always, and maybe, you know, given my background covering cellular stuff going way back, I, I'm always curious of, of watching Mobile World Congress and, and other news events and, and things what's happening. You're seeing this, um, you know, the whole LTE U question that's that's come up now, and this is if you're not familiar with this term, um, you know carriers. I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Phil, but you know the biggest worry they have every day, every night, is where they're going to get more spectrum. You know, spectrum. Right. You can't grow spectrum. You can't you know create spectrum. There's a finite amount of it, and especially when it comes to being able to purchase licensed. Um, spectrum for your for your handsets for your customers you know that stuff also takes five to seven years to free up especially here in the u.s so the ltu thing that's um just sort of starting out now is a plan to use the unlicensed bands where wi-fi basically plays for free right now and bring lte traffic inside the unlicensed band the big concern out in the bigger world, not inside stadiums, is, you know, what does that mean for my Wi-Fi network? Is it going to encroach on it? Is it going to use it up? And I, I tell you the truth, I think this is a huge issue that the stadium networking world hasn't even confronted yet. And I think it's possible that if, if this thing comes to pass, where the carriers are allowed to use unlicensed bands to carry their licensed traffic, this theoretically, you know, mess up all these big stadium Wi-Fi networks. So I'm, I'm curious if there was any talk about that at Mobile World Congress or, you know, what if you've seen any buzz from the telecom side, how they feel about that. I know, you know, the carriers, Qualcomm and everybody are behind this whole idea. And they, uh, they say, trust us, it'll work. We won't interfere. But uh, Right. Yeah. I, well, the, you know, that's a, the other thing, too. I mean, the whole world's dealing with the sort of like what to regulate. So the. The challenge here is these used to be really distinct markets and regulatory regimes, you know, it, yeah. and, and it was it was uh, somewhat easy to regulate uh, certain things about the telecom networks. And now things are kind of blurring. And like you say, unlicensed spectrum is a it, it could be a big concern for venue owners because when they when they spend, uh, you know, millions of dollars right. to put these uh, really high end Wi-Fi networks in place and then somebody can just come along and use other spectrum and keep that consumer, you know, <laughs> yeah. on a, on a different network. I, I, you know, I kind of, at this point, you know, obviously all the carriers are behind the unlicensed, uh, LTE U. Um, they're, they're, they're pushing for regulators to leave it alone and they definitely want to use it as much as possible. Um, I think what we might end up seeing is different uses for different 
spectrum. In other words, hmm. um, like the video stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think what we might end up seeing is sort of like a, um, different type of fan experience on each layer of the network. So in other words, your texting and your, your phone calls and your, um, you know, your internet access are going to be on one layer and then your, um, private in stadium video feed mm. that's being broadcast to the phones. Maybe that's on the unlicensed layer. And then maybe the Wi-Fi is handling mm. things like, you know, uh, seat maps and purchases and, yeah, you know, and, and things like that. So I think what, what, even, even though it sounds, you know, there's always this sort of feeling of like, uh, you know, when we see one, one technology pop up that it's going to chase all the other technology away. I, I, I just, mm. in mobile, especially mobile broadband, there just doesn't seem to be any precedent for that yet. No. It seems like if it's available and it's got an antenna people are going to use as much as they can. And so mm -hmm. I see this stuff sort of falling into, um, uh, some creative, uh, you know, kind of people picking a lane and sticking, you know, certain types of traffic in certain lanes and, and, and overall the experience will be better that way because you won't be maxing out one network at a time. Um, but secondly, you know, I do think the carriers would do well to play with these stadium owners, you know, and be, yeah. um, you know, be aware of the investment that they put into it um, and make sure they're not deliberately offending them, but, but actually maybe helping them and, and trying to give, you know, fans a better experience. I, I think that's, that's a great point, especially your point about the video stuff. It'll be interesting. And I, I want to sort of shift into a, a third, our third topic is talking about the economics of all this. You know, in our first topic, we were saying, you know, you're probably going to need to upgrade to networks. You probably need to look out for you know, different types of video, virtual reality. And the question always comes back to, at least for a lot of my audience in the stadium and venue world, is who's going to pay for all this? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, a couple of years ago, there were people still struggling with the idea of, well, you know, what's the return on investment for this? Because... The, in the sports world specifically, they were used to, okay, you know, we're going to put in TV cables because we get a lot of money for broadcasting the TV games. Done. Right, yeah. Um, it, it wasn't as clear, and it still may not be as clear to see a path to profitability, if you will, on the network side. But um, as we discussed, I, I don't think there's any way you could build a big venue without thinking about the network right now. But I, I like your idea of, uh, or your thought about, you know, different channels and, and different things. You're already seeing Verizon come into a lot of stadiums saying where they have, and it's typically in regions where they're, you know, far and away the leading carrier, uh, customer-wise, just historically or, or whatever. They'll come in and pay for the Wi-Fi as well as for the DAS and then give their customers a separate channel or a separate SSID. Mm. Now that's that's like I would call like you know segmentation one hundred and one. Yeah. But I think you could see in the future, you know, somebody coming into a stadium, be it a Verizon or another carrier, somebody else saying, or even partnering with the team or the league, saying, if you want to watch replays, if you want to watch the Red Zone channel, you know, you either have a Verizon device and it's available, like Verizon does with NFL Mobile, or mm. you know log into this 
you know, this part of the network or hit this, you know, button on your phone and you'll get a free stream that doesn't count against your your data plan or something like that. You're moving into even other ideas for the economics. Oh, but definitely. There, there, There's going to be some interesting things happening too because on the, uh, without getting too much into my day-to-day work life, on the OSS and sort of billing side of things, yep. there are ways now where um, carriers can partner with venues and provide a customized experience and bandwidth um, to of two people in a venue, like say I'm an AT&T customer, for instance, and I go mm-hmm. into a Marriott hotel, for instance, and, you know, AT&T theoretically could provide, uh, any AT&T customer or anyone in a Marriott hotel with all the bandwidth they could use, but they would just sign on into a screen. And then as long as they're in that physical, mm-hmm. um, location, then the bandwidth is free. As soon as they step outside, then it's back on their network or whatever network they were a part of. Right. And that kind of thing, you're going to, you know, I think you're going to start seeing that sort of thing more and more. Um, I think you, you, you had a good analogy with the, you know, with the different, obviously every time piece of content is produced, there's a different commercial interest that wants to get in front of that content. Right. I think those kind of, you know, um, those kind of deals are what's really going to pay for the bandwidth. I think the networks and the, you know, um, I think it's all very, you know, it's all very expensive and you can't possibly expect consumers to foot the bill for all of it. Um, consumers will foot the bill for what they anticipate is the overall experience. So they'll, they'll pay a higher than normal price to go to see a ball game. But, they don't want to be nickel, you know, they don't want the nickel and dime thing to happen while they're at the stadium uh, no, any more no. than it already does with, you know, food and things like that. Um, no, I, I agree with that. And to, to get to your point too, I, I think you're going to start seeing some more innovation on the Wi-Fi side as well. Yeah. That does that kind of customization that the carriers can also do. I, I don't think anybody's really there yet. You, you've seen some initial forays into you know, captive portals with a return mm-hmm. and, and use of beacons with the, okay, you're near the store, here's a 10% discount. I, I just think those are baby steps compared to what you're going to be able to do when you can really, in real time, sort of assess data about individual people, you know, down to the level of granularity that I know you get on a cellular um, billing system. Yeah. So that that's going to be pretty interesting. And, and I think it... I think you're right. Going back to your your thought of you know people pairing together and teaming up, you know there's there, there's two things I think at play when a fan walks into a stadium. You want the fan experience to be great, right? You don't want them to say, oh, you know the Wi-Fi stinks. I can't communicate. So you, you want to please the fan because they're paying for all this other stuff, you know, eleven dollar beers and whatnot. <laughs> but. But I think the the second step and the step we haven't really seen yet is, you know, okay, how do we use technology in the background to make it even better and easier for them? And we, we, the network owners or the network operators, reap the data, which I think in the long term is the gold in this gold mine, if there is gold in this gold mine. It's it's the user data and behavior patterns. I mean... You know, marketing people are going to be just dying to get their hands 
on, on some of these kind of statistics, and I, I don't think we're seeing yet, you know, the richness that could really, you know, to use a pun, move the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a that's a that's an interesting thing too. Is that this really is all about, um, you know. I, I hate, I know consumers hate to hear this, but you know, it really is all about captive audiences and how you treat them. Um, and we can be a captive audience. Um, this is one thing consumers really need to realize by the way, um, because this is, this is happening super, just incredibly quickly in all, in all kinds of ways, but we're being, we're, we're being captive. Uh, we're being treated like captive audiences in so many venues that we go to already. Um, you know, so every time you go to the grocery store, your captive audience, you're, you're voluntarily giving them a, uh, right. you know, yeah, your, your data so that you can get discounts on merchandise. But at the same time, you're also exchanging, here's what I bought and here's why, and here's when, you yeah. know, and here's where, and that's, that's a, you know, that's a gold mine of data, like you say, yeah. and they sell against that, you know, every time, uh, every time, uh, you buy one one brand of uh, detergent, they hand you a coupon for a competing brand. So they're always selling against that. I don't think we've seen that level of uh, data usage inside of stadiums. For the most part, people are generally left alone when they go into stadiums. There's marketing visible all over the place. You know, there's there's uh, right, but not <clears throat> not high touch. Yeah, right, there's billboards, agree. there's things like that, but there's not things like you know, like you say, there's not like, uh, you know, that, that, that level of interactivity that's both, um, really inviting and also kind of scary, but, but I, but whatever happens in the stadium experience, and this is why I'm so interested in this stuff is that whatever happens in the stadium experience, the stadium just happens to be a large, you know, public gathering place that's pretty well funded as soon as they figure out how to do this stuff in stadiums it's yeah. going to be in you know parks and playgrounds and everywhere else you know yeah, the, everywhere else that you can geographically um ring fence an area and say these people in this area will have this experience some carrier and some advertiser and some uh other service provider are going to jump on that and they're going to try to make money from it, but they're also going to try to provide interesting services that help, you know, the overall experience. So uh, my feeling on it is actually quite neutral because just like, uh, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm clearly I'm a hundred years old cause I'm telling this, but you know, a hundred years ago, we, we actually had a bit of a fit about you know, Wi-Fi and coffee shops. And we're like, I don't know if free Wi-Fi and a coffee shop is such a good idea. It's yeah. interfering with the whole experience of the coffee and the whatever. Okay, well now, I, you know, who would go to a coffee shop if it didn't have Wi-Fi? Yeah. And yes. so I think that's, you know, kind of extrapolate that out into uh, other experiences and other venues, uh, be it shopping malls or whatever. You're 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 going to have a very uh, what happens in the stadium is going to sort of, um, uh, predict what's going to take yes. over everywhere else. Yes. And that, that has been sort of an underlying theme of, you know, why we cover this and why we cover stadium technology deployments. I think is because they are crucible. Right? Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the worst case scenario because you're never going to get 75,000 people at a shopping mall all at the same time. 
you know, basically in about the same space as a shopping mall, right? So oh, you, totally. Yeah, especially can, Texas ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think in those malls. And if you can make it work there in those in those environments, then you're battle tested and, and ready to go out to the bigger world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like that. Um, do we have time here for a story? Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 move into the closer. Uh, closer. So you've, you've got a story from Super Bowl twenty four. What's what what happened way I, I back do. then? I actually was. You know, you may be a hundred years old, but I, I sometimes I feel like I'm one hundred fifty. I used to be a sports writer, as you know, but maybe our audience doesn't know that. And back in the day, I was covering the Denver Broncos for a paper here in Boulder, Colorado, the Boulder Daily Camera. Mm-hmm. And the Broncos, you know, made it to Super Bowl Twenty Four, um, playing against the San Francisco 49ers. Now, we'll, for the sake of Broncos fans, we'll leave out the result of that game. <laughs> but the you know the story was, um, you know, I was there as media. It was in New Orleans, which is really just I think you know a great place to have a big game because with the French Quarter. And Bourbon Street, you know, you just have sort of a built-in. At Super Bowls now, they're trying to build these NFL fan zones. Yeah. Uh, You know, we're like, I think in New York, they had a zip line, and they were trying to do stuff in San Francisco. I mean, New Orleans is the world's biggest fan zone. Yeah. (laughs) It it doesn't need the Super Bowl to have a party of that size. No, no. And when the Super Bowl is there, the party's even so much better. So I'm, you know, a young reporter hanging out with – my friend Jimmy Armstrong, who used to work at the Denver Post, and it was sometime in the middle of the week where he just came up to me and he said, hey, he goes, leave your notebook at home. We're going out tonight. We're going out with John Elway and some of the Denver Broncos. And I was so excited. I'm like, yeah, finally I get to really build some you know, background sources, get to know these guys on a personal level, you know, really sort of build my reporting chops and yeah, you know, so I was really excited, you know, so we met at the appointed time, and there we were walking down Bourbon Street, a couple sports writers, and it was Elway, and I think he had like four of his offensive linemen uh, friends with him. Wow, that Sweet. wouldn't attract attention, would it? No, no, we had a lot of attention, and we went to, um, <laughs> we went to Pat O'Brien's, you know, the legendary Pat O'Brien's. Of course, when yeah. In New Orleans, you have to go to Pat O'Brien's, and I figured out what I was there for. I was an extra blocker. I was uh. like the tight end that you bring in in the short yardage situation. But, you know, this is before clubs were smart enough to have VIP areas where celebrities can, you know, waltz in and, and yeah. be seen but yeah, behind no. the red rope. I mean, Elway and these guys just walked in like anybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I think we got moved to the front of the line, and, and that was about it. So we went into a corner of one of the rooms in the bar and before I knew it, you know, it's like clearly the players had done this before. John Elway sat in the back and then the rest of us sort of arranged our chairs around him and strategically placed small tables so that no fans could just easily walk up. I mean, it wasn't like we were shutting it off completely, but if you had wanted to go bug John Elway, you would have had to go through an offensive line and me. (laughs) (laughs) And I really was like a tight end. I was seated, you know, Sort of on the end, I was as far away from Elway as, as you could be and still be in the group. So, you know, the bottom line is I never spoke to him at, you know, I've, I've since, you know, interviewed him and talked to him at other times. But, 
you know, never heard, the, I couldn't even hear the conversation that he was having with the friends. And I just <laughs> sort of sat on the end of the, the line nursing a beer going, well, this isn't everything it's cracked up to be. No, being in the entourage is tough, especially on the on the outer outer edge of the entourage. But. Now, see, this was back in 1990. If this has happened today, at least I'd have a decent selfie here. You know, well, that's true. Yeah, something. you'd be within within 50 feet of him. But, but, at the, but the thing, too, is that that was, that was definitely an old school entourage because it happened in a public place and it, it enlisted the help of the media to... <laughs> <laughs> to keep other fans away. <laughs> yeah, it was like I was part of the team, and I and, and I even had to pay for my own beers. I mean, yeah. these guys are just you know nobody even thought to say, "Hey, buddy, you know I make twenty thousand times what you do." <laughs> Here's a beer for your trouble. I had to buy my own beer. Well, it's it's smart to use the media too, because it comes to think of it, like who wants to be there worse than anybody else? You know, <laughs> right? You, you, you want to? You think you're going to get this great? You know. I, I think you know, the rules of engagement have probably changed quite a bit these days. Yeah, they have. But you know what? I would trade a good story for a good scoop any day. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's my exciting Super Bowl story about being close to John Elway. Fantastic. Well, we'll put a bow on that. That wraps up the Stadium Tech Report podcast, episode one. Episode one. It's Got one in the get, books. It's and, always uh, good to get one done. Yeah, this will this will change. It will morph. It will uh, uh, shift yep. shift shapes as we go. But thanks for uh, for being along with us. And uh, you know what, the sidecar uh, wasn't it wasn't terribly uncomfortable. I did get a couple of bugs in my teeth, but it was all right. I think you did well. We'll keep the sidecar on for now. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Paul Kapuska. As usual, you can find more information about this on the Mobile Sports Report website. Uh, www.mobilesportsreport.com Sign up for our weekly email newsletter there and our quarterly reports. And thanks for listening.